I was raised Roman Catholic. Um, you know, we went to church every Sunday, went to Mass. I was catechized or whatever you call it. <laughs> um, but when I was about 10 years old, I had a sister who uh, became a chronic mentally ill person. Very beautiful girl that I looked up to. All of a sudden, things drastically changed in our home. And I didn't see a whole lot of prayer going on. I didn't see an attitude of thanksgiving at any level. I didn't see a lot of praise going on. I'm glad we went to church. I'm glad that, that for catechism and those kinds of things. But I, I, I just wasn't seeing our faith helping us in the day-to-day affairs of life. In fifth grade, um, our, our, our school system, Tucson School District 3, decided to redefine the boundaries of the school districts. And students from Julia Keene were forced to come to our school, Robinson. And there was one kid in that bunch that was angry that he was being forced to change school. His name was Pete. But there was something about Pete, and I, I really believe God sent Pete to Robinson Elementary for another kid named Michael Descoli. <laughs> now, Pete, very smart kid, very busy. In fact, he started dating his wife in seventh grade, so we never really had a lot of time together, but I was drawn to Pete. Our junior in high school, Lisa's mom, that's Pete's wife, she died of alcoholism. Uh, parents had been divorced, so she was forced to go live with her dad, who was a two-star general in Saudi Arabia. And that freed up some time for Pete. So I started hanging out with Pete more, and he started inviting me to his youth group and to some Bible studies. And I was blown away that those kids, 10 kids, nine of whom was in a pastor's home. Our youth pastor was 67 years old, (laughs) Reverend Bailey. 10 kids sitting in a circle reading the book of Proverbs. Nine of those kids today are serving God dynamically. Okay, yeah, yeah. And... uh, And I couldn't believe it. They were studying the word. And and I was drawn. And God began to speak into my heart. And so when I went to NAU, Northern Arizona University, I got involved with Campus Crusade for Christ. And there I understood what it meant to have Christ at the center of, of your life. I invited Christ in my life filled me with his Holy Spirit. In fact, those, those scriptures that I learned in catechism suddenly came alive in me. Yeah, I couldn't believe the word that I had heard over the years. But one fun story in that, uh, talking about the inconsistency, it was customary in the Catholic Church to on occasion have the priest over, so we had Monsignor Adority over our house. And if you could imagine uh, a, an Italian home, loud home, right? Man, talk about Aaron. Aaron is the model of kindness, huh? He talked last night that his friends in school used to, at, at, at college, used to call him Barney. Yeah, it took me a minute. What Barney is he talking about? Then I realized, you know, I love you, you love me. Yeah, that Barney. <laughs> and uh, he's, I am not the model of kindness. <laughs> okay. Yeah, in fact, uh, Jen asked me to sing a song. Do do you guys mind if I sing a song here? What are you going to say? I hate it when people ask questions like that. It's like, no, don't do it. Oh, dear. Uh, But anyway, we had Monsignor Doherty over. And in our house, no prayers ever said. I mean, nobody cares if Mama's sitting down or she gets any food or not. I mean, if the food's out, everybody's grabbing because you might just go without. I mean, that's just all honesty. And then I married a Kansas farm girl who, if you start eating before mama sits down, you better watch your hiney. 
Yeah. So, uh, so we're all grabbing for food, and, and Monsignor Doherty says, excuse me, would it be okay if I offered a blessing before we eat? Oh, awkward silence, <laughs> right? And so my dad uh, finally got his bearings together, and he said, Monsignor, uh, we have a policy in our house that everyone says a prayer silently to themselves. And me, the smart-ock 10-year-old, you know, sitting there, we do? <laughs> and Monsignor Doherty said, well, how about just this once we say a prayer? Way to go, Monsignor. All right, I don't think I'm going to do this in second service. I haven't done it anywhere else. I don't play much anymore, but Doug or uh, Jen and I are in a Bible study together, so somebody said that I like to play. I'll just mess this up. I'm just going to finger. Oh, that's what's buzzing. Very good. Thank you. Teamwork. I might do two songs before I do it. Uh-oh. Got to get this thing right. All right. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Took him just a week to make the moon and stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. It really ought to be a sign upon my heart. Don't judge me yet, there's an unfinished part. But I'll be perfect just according to his plan. Fashioned by the master's loving hand Cause he's still working on me To make me what I ought to be It took him just a week to make the moon and stars The sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars How loving and patient he must be He's still working on me The mirror of his word Reflections that I see They make me wonder why he never gave up on me But he loves me as I am He helps me when I pray Remember he's the potter, I'm the clay Cause he's still working on me To make me what I ought to be It took him just a week to make the moon and stars The sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars how loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. He's still working on me. He's still working on me. He's still working. Still working. <laughs> still working on me. <laughs> All right. Better do this one. This is one of my favorites together for now and forever I love you I love you and when I'm praying I hear Jesus saying I love you I love you people all over the world they're opening up they're coming around and saying I love you 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 I love you, I love you, 
I love you, I love you. Can you do that? That's 70s retro, man. Get it, okay? I love you. Got it? I want to hear you do it, all right? I love you. Nice. Brother and sister and Mrs. and Mr. I love you. I love you. Well, Jesus made me feel it. I can't conceal it. I love you. I love you. Because Jesus came into the world to set us all free. And when he died, he was saying, I love you. 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 I love you, love you. I love you, 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 I love you. We can be together from now and forever. I love you, I love you, brother and sister, Mrs. and Mr. I love you. I love you, we're singing, I love you, 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 love you, nice. I love you, 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 I love you. All right, yay. Pete, Pete Davidson, kid, love me the Lord. Used to go to his house, we'd have folk sings. His dad, chem physicist, didn't play anything. So we rigged up a gut bucket, and he would play along, and we had a good time. A lot of good, good memories. I am in First uh, Peter chapter 5. I'm going to be working verses 8 through 11. I'm working from the New King James Version of the Bible. Uh, so if, that, if you'd like to follow along in the version that I'm using, that, then you know what's going on. But all the versions kind of help us to understand what God's saying to us here. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Yeah, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. That's really what this is about today. First Peter was written amidst great persecution. And, and Peter talks about hope. In fact, he begins the book talking about living hope. Now, when it comes to words like hope and, and prayer in the church, I have a bit of a pet peeve that too often we kind of smirk at these things, even chuckle a little bit. Like, yeah, I'll take prayer. <laughs> you know, never know, might help. Luck of the draw kind of thing. You know, hope, wishful thinking, like maybe, just maybe, you're going to win $1.4 billion in the lottery kind of thing. Yeah. But we need to understand that hope means the confident assurance that every promise of God is absolutely yes in Christ Jesus. Okay, very, very important. And come what may in these last days that we can have peace as we 
embrace God's promises, as we learn to walk in God's holiness, and as we grow in our faith. So it's a story of hope. In the final section, Peter offers us comfort in the midst of fiery ordeals. And and he rallies the troops, so to speak, as he prepares us for battle, saying that if we will trust God, no matter what we face, that he will use all of it for his glory. He will use all of it for greater good. So we come to chapter 5. And the troops have now been rallied, so he issues this battle cry. And in this battle cry, he wants us to know exactly who our enemy is and exactly how we can defeat him. And then he reminds us that whatever we go through this side of heaven, it's only for a short while. And then he points us to Jesus Christ, who is our victory. Look at verse 8. What do you do when you come face to face with a hungry lion? Be sober, he says. Don't be intoxicated by the world and its ways. Okay, And it's not talking about drugs and alcohol. It's talking about other kind of toxins that keep us from being effective like we need to be. Vegging, checking out, these kind of things. Be sober. Be vigilant. Pay attention. Be on guard. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. What do you do when you come face to face with a hungry lion? One African gave us some really good theology when he gave us three things. He said, first thing, whatever you do, don't run. Because that'll mean certain death. Two, look big. Look large. Raise your arms high in the air and stare that lion right in the eyes. And three, if it looks like that lion is still going to attack, make sure you position your sword in such a way that you have an opportunity to take him out should he lunge. Good theology in that. And we'll come back to it a little bit as we go here. But I was hiking with one of our park rangers uh, and, and he told me, I don't know how he got on mountain lions, but it's just something you do when you're hiking and you're, you're living here. He told me that if a lion ever got a hold of him, he had a plan of what he would do. You want to know what it is? Uh, you might wish you hadn't asked. <laughs> he said he would take his left arm, which is his weaker arm, he would jam it down that lion's throat and let the lion chew on it for a while while he takes his right hand, which is his stronger hand, and begins plucking out the lion's eyes, hoping that by blinding that lion, the lion will become disillusioned and wander off. He put a lot of time into this. You better write it down, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, lose an arm, save a life. Yeah, but it's hard to get a lion's eyes out you got to think about where you apply pressure, (laughs) okay? What do you do when you come face-to-face with a hungry lion? Verse 8 says, be aware there is an adversary. And whoever would dare suggest to us that Satan is nothing more than a myth is, 
either not paying attention to the horrible wickedness that's going on in our world, denying it, or is off somewhere in la-la land because the Bible takes Satan very seriously, even giving us a number of names to help us to understand him. And we've already seen two at least. And, and as I study this passage more, there's others we could focus on. But the first one I just want to look at is this word adversary because my assignment in this one voice is to talk, talk about understanding our enemy. And the first word is adversary. Adversary is the root word from which we get the name Satan. It can also be used to describe an enemy, but literally it means this. It means an opponent in a court of law. Yeah, so that should trigger your mind if you cross-reference in Scripture at all because that should point you over to Revelation 12.10 where Satan is described this way. He's, he's described as the accuser of the brethren. Who are the brethren? You and me, right? Who accused, past tense. Why? Because it's talking about Satan's future doom, right? Who accused them before God day and night. Do you want to know what gives Satan pleasure? What gives him pleasure is standing in God's courtroom arguing his case against you. The accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night, and then the really good news here, has been cast down. Yeah, that is good news. So when you're in the midst of persecution, when you're in the midst of difficulty, when you're in the midst of hardship, when you have those negative thoughts bombarding your brain, recognize exactly where they're coming from. There's an accuser who's on a destructive mission. Much of his efforts are rooted in the allure of the flesh. He exists to steal, kill, and destroy. And then as I've been going, I've been listing a whole bunch of things that he will use. He'll use fear, doubt, pride, temptation, flesh, the world, emptiness, sense of inadequacy, false religious views. He'll even use family in his efforts to take you out. But friends, he is the root of all heaviness in our world. He is the root of all heaviness in our town, and he is the root of all the heaviness you experience in your life. Jesus came to give life and life to the full. Satan's mission, to tear down. Jesus' mission, to build up. This is what we're talking about. But in all of Satan's efforts, all he has are accusations. All he has are claims because in Christ, there is no longer any evidence to convict you in God's courtroom. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, number of places, but let me direct you to one because I love cross-referencing here, right? Go over to Romans 8, 1 and you find there the Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in, and then we get two conditions. Condition number one, those are who are in Christ Jesus, condition one. Condition two, based on the reality that not everyone who calls him Lord will be saved, right? But condition two, but walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So the first name we have here, and understand our enemy, is adversary. He's an opponent in a court of law. 
The second definition is the name devil. You ready for this word in the original language? You ready for it? You sure? All right. It's the word diabolos. Diabolos. Think of it. He's diabolical. He's literally of or related to or characteristic of the devil himself. He's demonic. He's fiendish. He's bad. He's evil. The fact that he's even defined in the dictionary is evidence of his existence and evidence of his intentions. Okay, so right here I have two applications for you. The first application is that we must take the devil seriously. Leave it alone. Oh, I see it. Okay. Take the devil seriously. How else do you explain the madness that goes on in our world today? And the Bible's been warning us about him throughout the years. The second application is while we take him seriously, we never overestimate his power. You don't have to be afraid of him. Satan and God are not equal opposites. Satan isn't to evil what God is to good. Satan is subject to God. Jesus has authority over the devil, and he's given that same authority to you and me, but we need to learn to walk in it. We must learn to walk in it. Yeah. And just one little side note, and then I want to come back to these two points for just a moment. Please don't give Satan credit for every bad thing that goes on in your life. You do enough to contribute to your problems. Okay? And I only say that because I just don't want him getting more credit than he deserves, right? But these two extremes will either attribute too much or too little power to Satan, which could cause us on one hand to overreact to every little thing that goes on, or on the other hand to not properly be prepared for his attacks. No military commander will ever be victorious over his enemy unless he understands his enemy. You can be prepared for an attack by land and miss the potential of an attack by air or sea, and you would be setting yourself up for defeat. You could be prepared for a land and sea attack and not give thought to the possibility of an attack by air, and you would be jeopardizing all of your efforts. We must understand the enemy's tactics so we know how to deal with them. Understand his limitations, understand his potential, and then understand the fact that God has given us in Christ Jesus authority over him. Be alert. Pay attention. He's sneaking around, waiting for an opportunity to pounce. And just like a lion in the wild will hunt the peripherals of the pack, looking for that animal that drifts outside that pack's protection or is slowed by some vulnerability or weakness, so Satan is on the prowl. He's opportunistic, wanting to catch us off guard at a moment when we least expect it or are too tired or too weak to fight back. Yeah. What do you do when you find yourself standing face-to-face with a hungry lion? I suppose we could be like the French knights in the cult classic Monty Python and the Holy Grail. What did they shout when the enemy came their way? 
run away, run away. And that'll mean certain doom, or we can go on to verse 9. Yeah, look at verse 9, what it says. Resist him, steadfast, which means standing firm in the faith. Resist him, the adversary's got nothing on you. Now, this is another interesting word in the original language. It's the Greek word antisteme. Antisteme means to withstand. Should remind you of our English word antihistamine, right? Anti means against. Histeme means to cause to stand. The, the verb suggests vigorously opposing, bravely resisting, standing face to face against an adversary and standing your ground. So just like antihistamine will put a block on histamines in your body, which are chemicals in your body that cause you to have chemical reactions, so antihistamine tells us that with the authority and power granted us in Jesus Christ, we have the potential the reality and potential of pushing back the effects of evil as a body of believers. But we don't stand in confidence in our own flesh or in cockiness. We'll lose every time. So verse 9 continues, resist him steadfast in, what are those next two words? The faith. The faith. It's a very specific faith as opposed to just any faith. It's it's faith in our all-powerful Heavenly Father. It's faith in the victory that Jesus secured through His death and through His resurrection. Okay, now a couple of cross-references, just verses to support this. James affirmed this when he says, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Paul affirms this. Ephesians 6. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And we could read this. Our heaviness is not about flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. And then Jesus models for us how this looks in Matthew 4, Luke 4, when he's tempted. Right? Satan comes after Jesus with twisted truth okay and it's important that i emphasize twisted truth because it looks like the real deal in many ways but truth with a little bit of lie in it still lie that i'm going to always remember hal's teaching when he talked about you can't cause salt to lose its saltiness the only thing you can do is corrupt it do you remember that that was a good word right yeah uh, A lot of truth with a tiny bit of a lie is still a lie. So Satan comes at Jesus with with twisted truth. And Jesus responds simply by saying, it is written. And then he quotes God's word. He doesn't debate with Satan. He doesn't discuss it with Satan. Somebody else did that one time, right? And we saw what happened. Like Eve, maybe. Right? You remember that story? 
right? He simply used it as the authoritative tool, the Word of God that it was designed to be, and Satan had to flee. So here we have Peter, we have James, we have Paul, we have Jesus, all wanting us to know that victory is over the devil is ours as we walk in the power and authority that is granted us in Christ Jesus. The application Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Let's say it together. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. That sounded way too liturgical. Let's get with it, folks. I know it's early service, but no excuse here. Say it together. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. You better believe it. Okay, so where did I get this teaching? Okay, so I'm teaching the Bible. Uh, I'm teaching through 1 Peter last fall. And, uh, and this was a powerful Sunday, okay? So when these guys said, this is what we're doing, and I saw understanding our enemy, I said, man, God's already given me that word to the church, okay? And so I'm teaching this, and uh, last fall, and, and as I, as, when I'm done, this one fellow comes running down, he says, Pastor Mike, we can't just go f- by, w- with conventional means if a lion's going to attack. We need the wisdom of God because God might have a different plan. And I'm like, you're right. I agree. And, and right away, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 came to mind. Yeah, you guys know it, right? Let's say it together. I know we have different versions. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths, Right? Yeah, so pray. So this guy's telling me, Pastor Mike, we need to pray. Well, right behind him comes a retired pastor. And he says, Pastor Mike, did I tell you, did I ever tell you about the time I was confronted by a hungry lion? (laughs) No, I want to hear this. He said, I was out bow hunting by myself. And there it was. It was ready to lunge, and I was scared. And I was praying. He said, and I listened to that African. I didn't run. I stood my ground. And I looked, well, tried to look big. I raised my hands in the air, and that lion looked all the more serious. He said, I started to yell at him. And he looked all the more serious, and I'm praying. Do you believe his praying? Yeah. And he said, in a moment, you know, I, I don't know what came over me. Do you know what came over him? Yeah, Spirit of God. He said, I reached back. I grab my buck knife, I raise my arms high in the air, and I charge that lion. And the lion took off running. Isn't that cool? I mean, it supports everything we're saying right here. Okay, now, we have a couple of problems. You all look great. You look great. You look like you're into it this morning. That's good. All right, good stuff. Let's talk about a problem. The problem takes us over to 1 Corinthians 6.18, where it says, flee sexual immorality. So everything I've been talking to you about this morning has been about standing, but over there the Bible tells you to flee. What do you do with that? You've got to consider the difference between that which is a predator and that which is a lure. A predator is going to attack and you have no options. A lure is designed 
to appeal to your curiosity. And all it has to do is get you to touch it. Right? Now, we we should always stand on behalf of others. And this is the responsibility of the church as we talk about one voice, that we rise up and we intervene, that we intercede for for the people around us. Right? We stand in the gap for others and even believers. But when it comes to uh, these lures, then we know there are things we need to run away from. And the illustration God gave me a long, long time ago was that of a spider web. Okay, it's, it's not the spider web that's up in your rafters there that's, you know, you see when the sun's coming in more and more every day. But it's that spider web that's built as an attractant. Stimulate curiosity to get you to touch it. And when you touch it, you're stuck. So what do you do? You think you can gain leverage with the other hand? You're doubly stuck. But my legs are stronger. I'll use those. Oh, man, you are stuck. The predator, no, this isn't a predator. Well, I guess it would be called a predator, but this is the the predator that uses the lure. He moves in now, comes down, and his goal isn't to take you by the juggler and to take you out. His goal is to preserve you. So he'll wrap you up. Keep your heart beating. Keep your blood warm. Because he wants you to die a slow death so that he can feed off you as long as possible. This is addictions right here, friends. And this is what we're talking about. The difference between 1 Corinthians 6.18 and, and the difference between where we're working here in 1 Peter 5. And if you're struggling with addictions... Jesus Christ is the deliverer. He can set you free. And there's people in the body here who would love to pray with you. Just, you got to come into the light. Because as long as you're hiding in the darkness, not wanting the evil deeds to be exposed, man, he's got you wrapped up. Okay, so what are some of these things that, um, that potentially are attacks of the devil? Let's just talk about those for a moment. Obviously, we've talked about persecution. And during the extent of this series together, Pastor Saeed was set free from Iran. Amen. That was good news, right? Yeah. Uh, Confusing worldviews, confusing God views, uh, slander, gossip, uh, vengeful spirits, even within yourself. Okay? Those kinds of things. But three of them really stood out to me. One is pride. Okay, uh, as a young believer called into ministry right away, uh, people started calling me Mike Descoli, the holy man of God. <laughs> and that's why I like that song. He's still working on me. What, what verse is that built off of, by the way? He's still working on me. Philippians 1.6. Okay, get that in mind. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, right? So as a young man, people calling me a holy man of God. I liked it back then because that was really my goal. But the longer I've walked with God, the less I want to hear that. Because it, it simply appears to me that people love to lift other people up so that they can be shot at when the reality is discovered, Okay. Yeah, and all you're doing when you're calling somebody else a holy man or a priest or whatever it is, is you're taking the responsibility off yourself. Yeah, 
Right. Don't do that. Pride. Another one is, is uh, fear. And I just listed a whole bunch of things here. Uh, first, we need to understand that f- uh, the media nurtures fear because fear sells. Okay. And, and right now, oh, you better go buy gold. Right. Because the stock market's not holding up. It's the only time you can sell gold is when people are panicking. Right. Uh, personal health. Every other commercial. Oh dear, you're going to die. Are you surprised? Huh? Yeah. Your future, your kids, trying to fulfill Hollywood's job description of how your life is supposed to play out. Right? No. Loneliness. Isolation. People leaving the church because the church isn't good enough. Can I just tell you, I'm not good enough, so you might as well leave me right now. Huh? It's isolation. Purposelessness. Here we live, and that's the part, this heaviness. Okay, we've achieved something. Oh, we've retired. Great. Uh, We've raised the kids. Great. But now what am I supposed to do? And And we need to realize we are here on temporary assignment, right, as representatives of the kingdom. And as long as we're here, We have a responsibility for the people around us. We've got purpose. And then the third one is putting our hope in the wrong stuff. And these three uh, are are mine. I've written them out this way. Circumstances, people, and stuff. If you put your hope there, they're going to fail you. And as believers, man, I heard a story two weeks ago after teaching this message. Someone came down and talked about family members and what they were doing to take them out because of their faith, calling them religious zealots, holier-than-thou kind of people. And that is such an irony to me that we would say, I need a Savior, and we call in the name of the Savior, and suddenly we're holier-than-thou kind of people, the things people will use to take us out. But Peter goes on in verse 9, and he says, Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So Satan wants to get us thinking we're alone in our struggle so he can discourage us. But as a pastor, hear from me this morning now, you are not alone. Okay, what you're going through, others have gone through, are going through right now. So the next time you're under attack by a hungry lion, let it be a prompter to call you to pray for your brothers and sisters around the world. And you say, what? Pray for somebody else in my struggle? Absolutely. It's part of your victory. Yeah. Okay, verses 10 and 11. Eternal hope. God's going to use it all. Look what it says. But may. That word may is not a maybe. Okay, it's more of a prayer of certainty. So you read this with confidence, emphatically, that the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, then these words that Aaron resounds so often, after you have suffered a while, is will, is perfecting, is establishing, is strengthening, is settling you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So this is saying your victory is sure, but that doesn't mean that anyone is exempt from the suffering and pain brought on by the battle. The battle may shock you. The battle may shake you. The battle may even leave scars. But Peter says, after the dust 
settles. God's going to use it all to strengthen you and to make you a better equipped person. So it's a picture of a well-grounded, seasoned warrior who comes through the battles of life with greater maturity, greater strength, greater resolve, and greater purpose. And none of it could have been developed any other way (laughs) all right now let these four things in those two verses feed your soul okay listen to them verse 10a hear them the god of grace is with you 10b whatever you go through it's only for a little while 10c it has a holy purpose to reverse the destructive efforts of the enemy In verse 11, that word dominion, God is in control. Stand strong in the Lord in His mighty power. Hold on to hope, friend. God's going to use all of it for a greater purpose. Yeah. Let it feed your soul. So, a missionary was sitting in her window, a second-story window, looking at a letter from home. And as she opened it, a crisp new $10 bill fell out. She was really excited to receive this. She could really use it. But as she was trying to read the letter, she was distracted by a shabbily dressed fellow down below on the street, leaning against a pole close to her building. And thinking that certainly his need was far greater than hers, she picked up another envelope. She put that $10 bill inside of it. She sealed it. And wrote two words on the outside. Don't despair. (laughs) She dropped the envelope out the window. The man saw it there. He went over, picked it up, read the note, looked up at the lady, smiled, tipped his hat, went on his way. The next day, this missionary gal is getting ready to leave the house when there's a knock at the door. And she opens it, and, and there stands that same shabbily dressed man with a big smile on his face and a wad of bills in his hand trying to hand them to her and she said well what's that he said well that's the 60 bucks you won lady don't despair paid five to one (laughs) don't despair Don't despair because whatever you go through this side of heaven, I'm confident God is paying back way more. And that's why I love to sing that old song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And sometimes I want to shout one line in that song when it says, Blessings all mine and 10,000 beside. But please don't let this feed cockiness. Never try to stand against a hungry lion on your own. Be strong in the Lord and in his power. A, always alert. B, battling back, and C, clinging to Christ. Yeah. Do Peter's words encourage anyone today? Yeah. Small book, huge impact. If, if you're encouraged, maybe God's putting on your mind someone you know that's under attack right now. And maybe there's something in this teaching or something you've heard before that's been prompted that you could just write them a note and encourage them just you know, snail mail. Get it to them on paper and encourage somebody else in these things. It's part of your victory. The good news. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's really good news. But if you read on, there's a tragedy there. Because Jesus goes on to say, but people love darkness more than they love light. And they refuse to come to the light knowing their deeds are evil. Hear it, friend. God loves you. He gave his only son for you. And the darkness you're holding on to and that you're afraid to be exposed in is that trap that's just keeping you alive, but it's sucking the life right out of you. And it's time to come before your heavenly Father, full disclosure, and say, I need a Savior. I need what Jesus did on the cross. I've been going my own way, but today, I want to come home. I want to come home. I want to come home to you, dear God. I'm sure we have prayer partners in this church that are willing to pray for you. If you need prayer, um, maybe after service or as we go forward, some folks could gather here on the front and just be available. And uh, I'm sure they'd love to talk to you and pray with you. Thanks for letting me share this morning. Father God, thank you for victory that's in you. All praise to you forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Michael. If you would, um, take out that connection card again. Um, we have some things here you can commit to this week if you would like to. The first thing, obviously, is to memorize that scripture that um, we went over and that, that Michael uh, went over, um, that Ephesians 6.10. Um, memorize that this week. 